At Smoky Bones, meat is what we do, and we do it all while taking our inspiration from everywhere, from New York strips and buffalo wings to St. Louis ribs drenched in Kansas City sauce. Our meat mastery knows no bounds. We grill it, smoke it, pull it, carve it, you name it. So come try our new rib feast. That's a house rack of ribs, two sides, garlic bread, and a drink for just $19.99 when you dine in. At Smoky Bones, meat is what we do. Limited time only while supplies last were permitted by law. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Welcome back to another week of the Razzball Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Livschitz. I'm here, as always, with Lance Brodzdowski. Lance, I know this is very exciting, but we have two poo-poo systems <laughs> to start off with. I'm going to keep a G in the, in the open. I wasn't sure what adjective you were going to use. Poo-poo systems. We're going with Cleveland, who actually isn't all that bad. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm maybe bad. dogging it a little bit. It's just not deep. They're not a deep system any longer. And then the Kansas City Royals, which uh, we could probably just get into a whole like two-hour podcast on how they've managed this team and sort of mismanaged it. And they chased the championship and then, you know, just didn't know when to when to sell and when to say when. It was like they were addicted to Hosmer and Moustakis, and they just they couldn't give it up. But either way, Lance, why don't you tell the people where they could find you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm on Twitter all the time shooting stuff out. I've been trying to do a lot of my own content at Lance Brosdow, L-A-N-C-E-B-R-O-Z-D-O-W. Ralph, you're on Twitter as Prospect Jesus, I believe, right? Yes, the, the, Prospect I, Jesus. I, I was I listening am, to the, uh, your, your pod with Gray, and I heard that there might be a name change to Prospect Rabbi. Is that, is that confirmed? <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to do right, that. Right. I don't want to take I'm, on the Jewish yeah. defense, uh, the defense League, as I mentioned. <laughs> Those dudes are uh, – or the Anti-Defamation League. Those dudes are, are bad dudes. Yeah, that's – They'll crush me. I, they, yeah. I don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these lists are. Uh, I mean, the Indians one is fun. Like you got you got some top talent there, Mejia, McKenzie, Bobby Bradley. But I mean, in the Royals, it's a lot of raw talent. It's a lot of raw projectable talent. We got to do some projecting. We'll get to that. But I think we want to start off. We actually we talked in pre-show a little, but we're more excited for the pre-show as opposed to the lists here. So we apologize to any Royals and Indians fans. You could maybe screw ahead like 15, 20 minutes. But on Monday, we had two prospect lists drop top 100s that kind of, I'd say, shook up the industry as a whole. 
Uh, Baseball Prospectus and Fangraphs both dropped their list. Fangraphs is the brainchild of Longenhagen and Kylie McDaniel, who I believe worked in the Braves front office for a while and now has come on as a full-time Fangraphs writer. He did. And, uh, which is awesome. I love his perspective in some of his columns. And BP is done by all the prospect team over there. And I think they deviate a lot from what we've seen, especially mine. I, I bet it'll deviate a bit from what you eventually update yours to, Ralph. But I don't know where we want to start here. I mean, there's a couple that, I mean, you can roll down the whole list and pick out names here and there. But, sure. I mean, the ones that stood out to me, I'll go, I'll start with Fangrass list. Uh, Miguel and Duhar is 14 overall. Wow. Which is, is pretty high. I thought that was pretty high. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then keep going here. I'm sure I'll pull out a couple more. If you doubled, if you doubled that grade, uh, if you if you had him 28, I would say, wow, that's really high. Yeah. I would probably double that grade. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested. Like I really he's wish. He's 50 to me. He's 50. I just. Uh, yeah. I he's a good. He's a he's a good player. He's a good player. I just don't know if it's all there that he's going to be a top 20 prospect at third base and hit that much, but. I might be wrong. I mean, the Yankees yeah. have obviously turned these guys out, but can, continue, Lance. Continue. No, 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 no problem. And we saw him at Hartford too. I mean, I thought he looked pretty good overall. I don't think he stood out as like a top twenty guy to me. But I, I love lists like this that shake it up because you start to really see who people like and why they like him. You know, and if it's Manduhar, it's Manduhar. We could be completely wrong in him, but I guess I'm just seeing a different value prop with him. But I don't know. He's what did you funky. think? Of- what did you think about his defense? Because I think we, if I remember correctly, that he booted a couple of balls. Yeah, I, I didn't think he was away. fluid. Yeah, I didn't think yeah. it was very fluid. Um, I was, I was shocked that he was that high because I was like, this isn't like he's a Gold Glove caliber, you know, defender, and that sort of boosts up his ranking. I understand that with maybe like a Willie Adamas, where like he has that all around yeah. value. People say that about J.P. Crawford and his sure. glove. Um, I think you could probably make a case for you know uh, numerous other outfielders, maybe like a, a Magnaria Sierra or somebody like that, where they have real life value because they're so good defensively or they run the bases so well. And yeah. Yeah, there's some balance with stuff like that. And I understand that maybe someone like Carson Kelly obviously gets boosted up in a list like this. Yeah. But Andrew was surprising because I'm like. I more or less only value hitting. <laughs> I only value Fair. defense Your prospect in the sense that, Yeah, yeah I, you know, I value defense from the sense of I hope that he keeps a position and that he plays yes. every day because he's serviceable at that position. And sometimes maybe his value gets bumped up a little bit because he's a really good hitting shortstop and his skill set wouldn't play maybe if he's an outfielder or a first baseman. But we're deviating him a little bit. But either way, in Duhar, man, that one shocked me. But Yeah, and then you're speaking of guys who have like the defensive floor and the, and the game speed floor to prop them up a list like this. Christian Pache, or Pache, however you want to say it, 37 overall, which is really high. I just wrote a column on him, actually, which was a lot of fun to do and break down what I think he's got to do to swing to actually produce a bat that's viable but he's got an insane insane glove and really really good speed so it's just a matter of putting together the other tools like if he can get a decent hit tool, it doesn't even need to be a power he doesn't even need to project out that power to you know 50 game power or whatever that could stay around 35 40 for me he could be a 12 hormone guy and still make an impact that was pretty high so they're obviously buying into his uh potential projection of how he's going to change his stance and have changed his swing etc um, Jake Bowers inside the top 50. I'm a little bit lower on him. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, you really, if you just stay inside the top 30, you can pick out a couple other names that are interesting here. Sixo Sanchez, top 20. I thought that was pretty aggressive. I've seen, I've seen some aggressive ranks on him, so I'm not stunned there, but it stood out. And Corbin Burns, 35 overall. I thought that was another one that was pretty high up. Um, a lot of love for him there. I know that's a really high floor guy, but they must be projected now. I think that changed a little bit more combo with this breaking ball and probably turn him into 
as I think they have them graded, I was like a 55 value prospect, how they value guys. So that's, that's pretty much an impact starter. I believe is how they would classify that. Um, man, interesting. Taylor Trammer's pretty low. If you want to go in the opposite direction at 57 for fan graphs, um, may not be in love with him too much there. Tuki Toussaint, a name that, you know, a couple years ago, we loved for the curveball, which is, it's still one of probably the best curveballs in the minor leagues, honestly, but they got him at 60 overall. I think that's the yeah. first appearance you're going to see from Tuki on, on most lists. Um, yeah, they, I, I love lists like this, man. I love lists. They break down each guy, et cetera, but their value props are really interesting. I'd love to get one of them and just sit them down and talk through the process. I know they have an article that talks through the process, but picking, picking people's brains who I know have seen these guys and talked to a lot yeah. of scouts makes me interested in like what the scouts were saying that made them put up guys like Corbin Burns in the top 50, why, um, you know, Pache's that high, et cetera. So, well, Lance, you're going to get the chance in a couple of weeks when we bring on uh, Wilson Caraman from yes, uh, Baseball Perspectives because I yep. actually uh, started a conversation with him before I asked him to come onto the podcast and co-host with us for the Dodgers episode. Why the hell he had Yadier Alvarez 40, oh. 41st uh, overall, and Fangraphs was a little bit lower. The bone, the, the bone I had to pick, and my point of contention was Michelle Baez. Why Michelle Baez wasn't higher? We know the secondaries yeah. are better. We know that he throws strikes, and if you give me the the level thing well if you look at what Yadier Alvarez did at the same level in the same league last year in 2016 and then what his ranking was and he's big and he has easy velocity and his secondaries aren't as good and he didn't throw as many strikes as Baez did at that level and he was ranked like top 30 in a, a couple of these lists I think top probably around where he was at worst, you know, 41 was pretty low for Alvarez. I mean, he was the, the sixth Sanchez the last season. Baez was better than he was, and he's got better secondaries and he throws strikes. So I don't like, I, I kind of, to me, I just, I couldn't like, why isn't Baez higher? He's higher on fan graphs list, but ultimately at the end of the day, you know what it comes down to is lists are really fun. Risk lists are also really dumb. You know, and yes, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. At the end and of the day, a you're snapshot. Very... It's not dynamic. Yeah. Fantasy baseball and baseball right now is is dynamic. It's the reason podcasts are thriving. It's the reason our YouTube stuff is doing well. It's the reason Razzball and Gray yeah. is as important and is and is uh, as as celebrated as he is because he writes about players every day. And the people that are doing that, that's that's the thing. There's, there's we need to continually get information because things are constantly changing. There's new information coming out. There's things you haven't heard. Um, information from teams. Uh, it's just, you know, I, you can't knock anybody's opinion because they just are seeing things a little differently. And sure. I, I, I love to see the perspective. I mean, I think I used to argue with rankings a lot more when I was younger in, in the game. Oh, not that I've been around that long. But now that I've, you know, I've done seven or eight top 100s, I'm at the point now where it's like, all right, well, I, like – I've been wrong about guys. I've been really, really sure. right about guys. And then you have people who are like your guys. And and Alvarez is a guy for, for Wilson. And like Michelle Baez is a guy for me. You know, the same way like Reese Hoskins was a guy for me. But but alternatively, so was Dan Vogelbach. And Dan Vogelbach <laughs> yes. hasn't been garbage. You know, everyone's got their their pros and cons to any list. So that's a very good point. It's it's super subjective. Like we're, I mean, maybe the really the only thing is when you like bucket the elite guys, you know, like that's, I think, and that's the thing we've seen too. We've seen inside the top mm. 10 guys like Vlad, we've seen Robles, Acuna, we've seen Eloy Jimenez, Nick Senzel. Like those guys are inside the top 15 on every single list. And that's like where you see the consensus. And yeah. the only time I start to go 
question the entirety and the construction of the list itself is when those guys deviate a little bit. Like if someone has Vlad Jr. outside of the top 10, I, I get a little bit confused, you know, like it's just things like that that'll confuse me. But I mean, you're looking like what's really the difference between like 30 overall and 45 overall. What's the difference between 30 overall and 70 overall? You know, it's like, it could be marginal things here and there. A guy sees a guy a couple good days in a row, really likes how he thinks the swing could develop, puts him up a little bit higher and completely fine with that. You got as you're saying, it's a dynamic and these are snapshots and yeah. fantasy baseball and, and baseball as a whole, especially prospecting is really dynamic. It changes all the time. And, you know, we're going to look back at these lists. I'm sure a month into the minor league season and want to make a lot of changes. Like, like if Mickey Moniak starts hitting all of a sudden, like everyone's going to put him inside their top 100. If, you know, a guy like, uh, Bichette struggles, you know, when he comes up and jumps up to like New Hampshire, you know, people might go, oh, okay, put him outside the top 20. And it's just, it's just stuff like that all the time. It could go the other way too. So, um, but I'll run through baseball prospectus as quickly. The ones that stood out to me, as far as the rankings, Mejia, Francisco Mejia, they have five overall, the catcher for the Indians. He's going to be a guy we're going to dig into in, in a bit. That stood out to me a little bit. I thought that was a little bit aggressive on him. Yeah. Um, scrolling down their list here. They had, there's just probably a little bit more, not insane. Honestly, it's a little more standard. I thought that the Fangraphs one had some very bold takes, but they're backed up because they've seen the guys a ton. So, again, I'm just interested overall in, in their ranking. Um, Kobe Allard, 24. Esteban Floreal, they're definitely buying into him at 26 overall. Kesson Huria is another guy I've seen actually a really high on some list because of that floor and the bat. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Baseball Perspectives has him 32. Soroka, they have a really, really high. They must be buying into that control a little bit. Jorge Alfaro is another guy, 36 overall for baseball prospectus that I was surprised was still that high. Honestly, they love I, him. They, they do. Love I know him. they do. I've, they been, I've, been, I've, been messing, I've been messing with them about that ranking <laughs> for years. Because, like, okay, I like Alfaro and everything, and maybe it's justified this year because he's going to be in the major leagues the whole year. He's out of options. But, like, <laughs> dude, like, is he in, like, in like the top 50 for fantasy even, too? I'm like, oh, come on. Like, he can't be in the top 50 for fantasy, like, three years running because it's like it didn't make any sense i don't know, yeah. no, I know unless, uh, unless he's gary sanchez and i'm totally wrong i like him <laughs> yeah, i think he's good value either. in redraft i don't know if he's gary sanchez though no i agree with that yeah and then i mean there's some other guys too like i was actually kind of surprised with luis gohara is a guy who on multiple lists i've seen relatively low and i think a philosophy i had going into the making of my list was that guys who we've seen be successful at the major league level or close to the major league level, I have to kick up a little bit. Yes. Especially if it's been sustained and the tools that we anticipated from prior years stick and are there and we see them at higher levels. I I tend to value that a lot. And that's why I like a guy like Honeywell a ton. You know, and I like a guy like Gohar. I have him, I think, top 35, 40. It's like he's surviving with two pitches at the major league level. He pitched really, really well. If that changeup comes around, I know his body's got some concerns, whatever. But, you know, I'm, I'm not looking eight years out. I'm looking like three to six and i don't think the body's deteriorate that quickly he adds that change up that change up gets better he's looking at three pitches that's turns into the ace of the braves rotation for me and that's kind of what i my thought process was on him so i 62 i thought was a little bit low um franklin colome from the phillies another guy i didn't expect to see on too too many lists interesting there riley mm. pike they had at 75 he's a guy we discussed with michael parnell on the rockies podcast mm. they must be buying into the stuff there, I guess. But again, I mean, 75 overall, 77 for pint. What's the really difference between 77 and 130? You know, no. like it's a, it's a coin flip most of the time. So it is, man, these are fun though. I love looking through these. And I love kind of reacting in my head and, and starting to rationalize like, you know, what are they buying into by saying this guy's this high? So I don't know if you have any final thoughts on that, Ralph, but uh prospecting season, man, it's underway. 
Yeah. Spring training, it's close. It's I want to get I want to get my top 100 out. I got to I got to bang out more of these write-ups, but I, I need to go through all 30 teams that way I can compile a massive list. Yes. Based off of all my research from months and months of just digging into nothing but the minor leagues, which is which is I'm, I'm starting to get worried about like my redraft stuff. <laughs> like I'm like <laughs> going I, I should be going, I should oh be look, spending more time in, on fan graphs and and looking at numbers and putting together charts, but <laughs> I'm watching minor league tape because I want to be like a pretend scout. But anyway, let's let's uh, let's talk about your big week. We're, this intro is going to go on for like a half this hour. Is, yes, we're already like 15 minutes in. <laughs> this is the whole show. The whole show, man. But uh, you talked to you talked to Nate Pearson's pitching coach, and yeah. I talked to Ben Badler. So we talked That's to some big crazy. names in the industry. I feel like everyone's getting a perspective of what this podcast is going to be like in season when we're not doing lists, you know, on a weekly basis and we're talking about the minor leagues and stuff. And uh, I, I maybe, we'll, maybe we'll make new lists. Maybe we'll update these lists perpetually. So we'll be a list we're going to have, we're going to have so much stuff to talk about. Oh, we're going to have time. These yeah. podcasts are going to have like two hours. But anyways, yeah, I talked to, so I reached out. So I, this is interesting. And I literally rationalized this as, so I have heard a lot about Nate Pearson and I feel like he kind of came out of nowhere. So what I did was I started watching tape and I kind of started to form my own opinion. I'll save that for the article I'm eventually going to write. And I've seen a lot of people on Twitter who just are touting him super, super high. And it kind of came out of nowhere to me, especially because in the offseason, we haven't really, nothing's happened, you know? So I always find the trends around players when the season ends in October and then now when you get into February where it's been the offseason season. I, I'm always interested in why those guys rise. And I've seen a lot of hype around Nate Pearson. So I really wanted to dig into why. And it eventually just turned into me reaching out to a couple of people from the Vancouver Canadians, which is the, I believe, short season. Hopefully I got that right. Blue Jays team out up in Canada. It and is. that's Pearson through, I think, about 40 innings. And the pitching coach there, uh, Jim Zykowski, I hope I said his name right. It's spelled super funky. Um, he's Polish like me. So I had to give him some props for that. But super nice guy. I ended up really stumbling into his number, called him the other night and we started chatting and I just got his perspective on Nate and what Nate's done and the changes he's made and, and how he kind of sees him going forward. And he had really, really high praise for him as a whole. This Sikowski actually coached Noah Syndergaard, Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez and Roberto Azuna all through that system. He's seen them all in the minor leagues. He's goes to spring training. Um, I believe in, in a week and a half, he said he thinks he leaves, his vacation's coming to an end. But he's seen all these guys, and the one thing that he said that stood out to me the most was that he thinks Nate Pearson, at the moment, at this snapshot of his career, at his age, is more advanced than any of those guys were, as far as the stuff. He says that he, he has four pitches, which is something I, I didn't really see touted on other sites when I was reading some scouting reports. I saw other sites who kind of say he's a two-pitch guy. Jim says he's a four-pitch guy, legitimate four-pitch guy. They're working on his changeup. And the interesting thing he said that I, I, I got to save the most of the substance for the column itself, which I'll be writing, but the really interesting thing he said is that he gets up in the high 90s. He can level out around like 95, 96, and he grunts and can hit 100 easily from what Jim said. But Jim also said that one of the reasons that they think he could actually improve more is that players in short season that he was facing – can only really hit Pearson's changeup. They can't catch up to the fastball. And the changeup is like 90-92. So we're talking like elite speed changeup. It's probably going to end up being a ground ball pitch. It's a little bit harder. But he was saying that it limited the use of the changeup because Nate would see guys hitting the changeup and catching up to the changeup because it's the normal speed of most guys' fastballs. So Nate, uh, Jim thinks that when he gets up into Dunedin and New Hampshire, depending on where he starts and where he ends up going by the end of the season – 
Jim thinks that you know the changeup could play up more, and then you might be actually looking at legitimately three pitches as opposed to what a lot of people perceive as two right now, just because he's not throwing the change a lot because it's so hard. But it's hard that it looks like other pitchers' fastball at the level. So I, that was cool insight. So I'm, I'm interested. Check that column out. It'll be on my site, big3sports.com, and I'm sure I'll be shooting around on Twitter and stuff. But, uh, but Ben Badler. Um, international prospect guy, right? He did a lot of international stuff. I see him. I think I follow him on like Snapchat. And every now and then, I like go into my stories on Snapchat. I see yeah, 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 or Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. He's too. Big so on Instagram. Yeah, he does a lot of international stuff. And I was actually just watching some tape on Pardinho, who Ralph said he likes a lot. And I mean, how was that? You, you did that for the Fan Tracks baseball show. So give me the rundown. I, I want to hear some some snippets. I don't want to give it all away, but who are some of the guys that he was praising? Yeah, so he was really into uh, Wander Franco in particular. That was a guy that he was really heavily touting um, and really talking about how he was the best hitter in last year's class and, uh, you know, J2 class and the fact that, um, you know, he was just super talented and very advanced. And we sort of talked a lot about, like, scouting concepts and the sort of things that, that he does and what his process is and you know, sort of what he values when he, when he gets a look at a guy. And, and I think he was very focused on just like polish and like mm. baseball skills that, you know, you see a guy like Juan DeFranco and he said, you know, this guy's played a lot of baseball in his life. Like when you watch him, you can see the polish on him or somebody like uh, Louis Garcia um, from the national system, second base, you know, middle infield prospect. Really, really heavily touted him. Uh, Gabriel Arias, who I obviously love. Um, mm-hmm. He's very, very high on Arias and thinks that, you know, another guy, he just this is a guy that's played a lot of baseball. You know, he's not raw like a uh, like a ramp for Salinas is, who is another Venezuelan guy. But he was sort of comparing and contrasting, you know, how raw a particular guy is versus how powerful somebody is. Uh, like a Danny Diaz, the Red Sox sign, he's really high on him and says, you know, this is a guy that he's not super athletic. Um, he probably moves over to third base as the body, you know, sort of grows out of the shortstop. Um, but he's a guy that will hit and he'll hit for power. And he's got, you know, a really good understanding of the strike zone, et cetera, et cetera. So he really valued a lot of that um, sort of thing. He talked a little bit about uh, Kevin Maiton and what he still likes about Kevin Maiton. Um you know, Moncada, we talked about Louis Robier, and then he talked about some guys of the past, like, you know, scouting Miguel Frank, uh, uh, Miguel Sano, and oh, nice. uh, some other guys. So, yeah, I really wanted to get, like, a more, uh, and, and this is what I what I try to do on those shows, is I, I like when I have someone like that on to sort of talk more about... Theory and you know, stuff, yeah. Yeah, you know, what's your process, and I feel like through that, you get some evaluations of players, and you get an idea as to okay, this is why he likes this guy or likes that guy. And, you know, then it, it sort of leaves you to then explore their work a little bit more too. You know, I don't want to give away Absolutely. everything. So, but yeah, it, he, he was, he was a really great guy. I didn't realize he's also in Boston. So maybe we'll all get together and go to yeah. uh, a Manchester game and, and uh, get to see Bo Bichette and, oh, uh, yeah. and Vladdy Jr. Vladito. I'm hoping that uh, I actually, I'll be down in uh, early April in uh, the Florida, the Tampa Bay area and uh, the needing isn't too far. So maybe I'll, if there's, if they are assigned there to the Florida state league out of camp, uh, maybe I'll be able to catch a couple games. Yeah, I got uh, some Bradenton looks last year. I did. Mi- I missed Mitch Keller, unfortunately. Oh, that's a bummer. 
but no, yeah, I'm, I'm keeping an eye up here for, for New Hampshire to see if Bo and Vlad get up. I'm interested to see. I think right now on the MILB roster, they're both, or one of them, I don't remember which one particularly. It might have been Flatty, was already on that double-A roster, but I, I don't know. you got to see what they do in, in camp and the backfields and stuff. I, don't, I think, do they have invites? I think like I asked this about Force Worley, too. I don't really know who has invites. I feel like there has to be a database somewhere that I need to find so I can be educated in this regard when I bring up guys and I want to know where they're looking to play come another 10 days now jesus down the I, road you know i had the answer on whitley like a, a couple weeks ago and i forgot it i was like ah yeah he was invited to camp and then i'm like maybe he wasn't invited <laughs> i can't remember yeah no it's not wrong but yeah no i'm interested too if they're in dunedin we definitely have to get your perspective on them those are i mean those prospects are absolutely of the upper echelon in terms of pedigree from what i've seen and what you've seen and what i'm sure a lot of the industry consensus is on them but um it's about 22 minutes of non-Indian <laughs> stuff. Do, do we actually want to get into the list? So I, I kind of want to get into the Indians list. So I guess we can start there. Uh, Ralph, yes. you have, I'll go through your one through five, then we can start digging in. Your one through five is at the top, you have Francisco Mejia, catcher. Number two, you have Tristan McKenzie, right-handed pitcher. Bobby Bradley at three, first baseman. Nolan Jones at four, third baseman. And Yu Cheng Chang, shortstop number five. Let's start at the top here. This is a guy that baseball prospectus had number five overall. You have number one on this list. I think we probably are both going to end up with him inside our top 25 at the end of the day. I would predict, I think maybe even top 20. Um, he's a catcher, a little bit smaller, really, really good bat the ball skills. Um, my overall kind of perception of what he turns into as a hitter, I still think is up in the air a bit. He's really loose. I feel like he gets a lot, a lot of momentum of his whole body into his swing. He starts his hands a little bit high and he doesn't really coil, but he builds momentum from the top. So like his hands start high and I tend to not like that with a lot of guys that they don't have really good bat speed, but they start high and then they come down and you see him get into his back leg, into his hip. And then he comes forward. It's, it's very fluid and there's a lot of motion, but it's motion that I don't mind because this is what he has to do in order to put the ball gap to gap, you know, and actually succeed on some, some of the slugging percentages we eventually want him to get to, to be a viable hitter at the catcher position. Or even if we've seen him play some third base, if they end up going with him there, if he's actually going to play up and be a valuable third baseman, if we're talking on the fantasy side of things, like he's going to have to hit, he's going to have to hit for power. Or yeah. if you compare him to even guys like, like, like Matt Chapman, you know, from the A's who, who are like not that great, but they're going to put up better power numbers than Mejia. Do you really want a guy like Chapman or do you want Mejia at third? So for me, the fantasy side of things, if he sticks at catcher, he can be a perennial, you know, in that posy Gary Sanchez conversation, I think, because the hit tool I think is that good, but to really see him excel, I want more power. And I still think in my head I'm tinkering with that overall. Um, how much power do you exactly see coming from him at the end of the day, Ralph? Yeah, see, it's so tough to judge that sort of thing nowadays with you know a guy that slugged just under 500 in trip in double uh, A last year, excuse me, and uh, had decent you know decent power numbers. I think his his ISO is just under 200. So. He's improved. Uh, he's seen his power tick up each year. He's still relatively young. Um, it's it's tough because when I watch him at times, his bat path isn't necessarily always the same. And I feel like a lot of his left-handed swings, he sort of has a downward, you know, ground ball almost uh, style swing. But then at times I'll see left-handed all of a sudden he's got this big upper cup chop and he knocks something out of the park. I think he's a natural lefty, if I'm not mistaken. He's a switch hitter, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. But I feel like his right-handed swing is more built toward power. He could add, he looks like he could add a little bit of you know weight on himself, just you know good weight. 
Uh, he's relatively slight for a catcher, and I think that's one of the yeah. reasons that they've been thinking about moving him over to third base. I think so, too. He did not look good in the fall league at third base. Like, in the reports were bad. What I saw in, like, the Fall Stars game did not look good. Um, I don't think he's a bad catcher. He's got a good arm. He could throw guys oh, out. He's got a really, really good arm. I yeah. think it's the durability thing. But I think, you know, he's if he can get a little flexibility at third base and it allows them to sort of manipulate, the Indians, that is, to manipulate the lineup, maybe have him catch some games and get into sort of a triumvirate there with uh, – uh, Jan Gomes, I think oh, we still have yeah. Roberto Perez, I think so. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he gets some games at third, and sometimes Jose Ramirez plays third, sometimes Francisco Mejia sits, so you can rest him a little bit, because like I said, he is relatively young, and if he's catching, you know, he's got the extra strain in his body, but as a as a hitter, he's going to make contact. I think he's just got a really good hand-eye coordination, bat-to-ball skills, like I said, I think he manipulates the bat path somewhat, too. Um, he's a swing first guy. He's not someone that's going to walk at a 10% rate. Maybe he gets to that point and he sort of develops that, but he's more of like a low K rate guy. Um, you know, walk rates about six or seven. So below average at, you know, sort of numbers, but not Rugnit Odor sort of walk rates. <laughs> I think he's a guy that can hit 310, 320 in his, in his best seasons and probably hit yeah, 18 to 20 homers. I don't think he's going to be a 30-homer guy because of the juice balls or anything, but I think he can hit 18 to 20 homers in a major league season, and I don't think he's going to play every day because he's going to catch, and he's probably going to be a, a 140 game guy, you know, and, and yeah, he's going to stay. Was, he's, he's, you know, uh, so you want him to, you need him to retain catcher eligibility. Maybe three years from now, we're totally crazy, and this guy's a 320, 25-homer guy that's sort of like a, a an Anthony Rendon type at third base, but I, I don't see it happening. I, I think he needs to stay a catcher to have the fantasy value, the real life value. Maybe he can still have it. If he can play multiple positions and be like Craig Biggio or something, I don't know, but, uh, uh, it's, it's so tough with Mejia because he can either be like really boring. Um, and like a guy that has some batting average and like underwhelming numbers and hits at the bottom of the lineup with the Indians. Cause they're very talented. Uh, or he could be like a number two hitter and a perennial batting title contender in the next Buster Posey. I agree. I think he can really stand out a catcher with that too. And I, the distribution, like you're saying, he's going to be like a 140 ish game guy. That's interesting to me too. Cause I'm interested to see how the Indians split that up. Is it going to be like 70, 70 split? Do they mind him catching 80 plus? And I mean, you mentioned he has a slider frame. Fangers has him at 5'10, 180. I don't know how durable that's going to be at the catcher position. And I don't think he's, I think he's good enough and he has a good enough arm to the point where they're going to want him behind the plate. But at what point, if he's not putting on more weight, are they concerned longer term with his health because he is a little bit more slight, you know, or maybe, I mean, this is the thing that goes back to the Indians too. Like they probably have a much better gauge on what he can do physically and what his durability is, as opposed to someone like me who's actually never seen him play. I've never seen me here play. So this is something I almost punt to them. And I'd be really interested in on their thought process around how they want to develop him too. Cause they skipped them up from Akron double a right up to the majors. And he made a uh, starter to, I think 14 plate appearances. And I pretty much tossed all the stats out the window there. I mean, that's such a minute, minute sample. So, um, but yeah, the catcher eligibility for the fantasy side of things, I think he does have to retain catcher eligibility to be relevant, but you see him at the top of a lot of lists because of the value all around and what he can provide overall. And that is where that's why he's so appealing to a lot of people. And I think he's clearly the number one catcher here in in fantasy, in real life, etc. He's 
he's got the potential to become a 18 home run guy at the catcher position with average to above average defense with a 300 average. And that's essentially Buster Posey to some extent, you know, much smaller Buster Posey, but it's a Buster Posey at the end of the day. So uh, it's very appealing. Um, Another guy who's relatively slight number two on your list, Ralph Tristan McKenzie. He's a guy I, I looking back on how I ranked him in my top 100. Now, I think I was a little bit aggressive on him and I feel like this was going to happen when I made that list and put it out a couple weeks ago when we started digging into some of these other teams where I really started looking at the guy and what I thought of him when I first looked at him and as I've developed my opinion of him over the years and now reflecting on him again where I'm spending you know a couple 10 to 15 minutes on each guy really digging in and forming an opinion for the third or fourth time on a guy where you start to kind of see the knocks so to speak and the knock that I have with Tristan McKenzie is just the size and we really don't know it's, I guess it's not even a knock though because like I'm doing this in my head I'm literally debating it right now as we speak Rob it's he's slight I think he needs to put on another 15 to 20 pounds to be able to hold up to the major league workload. But then again, you look at his stats and he dominated high A and he threw 140 innings. So I'm wrong, but when you look at him, it's just hard to convince yourself that he could throw 160 at the major level right now. And if you don't, if you don't think that as I don't, then you have to assume that there's some development mechanically and physically with him that come. And if that mechanical development comes, how exactly do you view his potential overall? Like the curveball is really, really good. The fastball is fantastic, but he's small. And if he gets more weight, is his are his mechanics as fluid? Does he get in his backload a little bit more? Does he tick up in velocity? Does that affect anything else that goes on with him? That's that's the struggle I have in my head debating him overall. I ranked him pretty aggressive. I think I had him top thirty. I'd probably drop him a little bit now reflecting on him for a second time third time fourth time whatever this is seeing him i've seen him a ton just because he was this hot commodity last year who flew up lists and etc but I, did you have as much struggle looking at tristan mckenzie for the third or fourth time here ralph or did you do you have the same opinion you always have had on him yeah i i've i've been aggressive on mckenzie now for like over a year and it's because i think that ultimately he's gonna have three plus pitches he's got a really good fastball already the velocity ticked up um, that was a concern early on. Then all of a sudden, he added velocity as he started to mature. He's still only 20 years old. Um, I, I probably weighed 160 pounds when I was 20 years old, maybe 150. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm like 200 pounds. I'm six feet tall, and I run all the time. And like that's just it, people's bodies change. I mean, I'm not too worried about it. You know, Chris Sale is also maybe the best pitcher and probably the best pitcher to draft early in fantasy baseball right now. And he's got a build like Tristan McKenzie. So. To, to me, like his stuff is so good, his command is so good. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's going to have sixty grades across the board. I think in a year from now, he's going to go into a, a onto a team, and he's in an organization that's not only done a good job of developing pitching, but de- developing other people's pitching that people thought was trash, like Kluber and Clevenger. Um, I, I just I like everything. I, I like the whole situation. I just I like the whole package, and and really, if it's if it's a matter of him gaining 20 pounds of muscle you know i don't know man uh get him get him doing some squats like get him, <laughs> you know i mean like and, and, and here's the other thing we don't know what they're doing with him and, and we don't it's know true. how strong he is because there's a lot of people who are super thin and maybe just don't add mass they don't have water muscles bro 
that actually are much stronger than guys that look massive. Like he's not an NFL linebacker. He's not going to be taken on massive contact. He's not a running back. He just needs to be durable. And sometimes I think it's better to be fat or skinny when you're a pitcher that look like Noah Syndergaard because those guys keep blowing their arms out. It's true. Yeah. It's a matter of, you know, you lift so much, you get almost out of your frame. You know, you start to push out of your frame and, McKenzie's a guy on the other side of it where you project out the frame and you, you, you start to think, you know, if he's 185, then you start to really like him. 185, he's 6'5", so he's a really tall guy, and that's why when you first see him, you notice him as immediately as lanky. Um, and at the end of the day, the mechanics now are clean, as I said. That's why I'm just interested to see if he puts on weight where the mechanics go and if they alter it all, how they get him into his lower half a little bit more. He's got really good extension right now. I think his arm speed is decent. He's got a clean delivery from the arm and, and upper body perspective from what I saw, and I like that a lot. And I mean, it's the most interesting thing that stood out to me. I actually heard, I was listening to, I think, one video on him. Um, he's not early momentum. He doesn't get a lot of early momentum with his delivery. So it's, it's really explosive, which is interesting to me because most of the guys who are smaller like this, what they'll do is they'll start to get into the delivery earlier when they wind up. But McKenzie kind of brings up his front leg, brings it right back down, almost aesthetically like Kershaw does actually, where he comes down, he comes set and then he drives forward. And McKenzie does that. And I, I'd be interested to see if he starts falling forward a little bit more and getting a little more momentum going. Hopefully the, the, the control is a kind of off tick, but I could see the velocity ticking up a little bit if he does that. And I'm super interested. I, I don't think I'm, I'm not low on him. I'd say I'm right around the average on him. And I like him a lot. I just want to see him more. I want to see more of him. I want to see him at higher levels. I want to see him, you know, what they do with him early this season and how he reflects if they start him in Akron. He threw a ton of innings in IA. So I'd expect him to kind of start off in Akron and, and go from there. Um, Bobby Bradley, Ralph, let's jump back to a hitter. The majority of both these lists are actually hitters. As if you jumped in the podcast just He's- now and for some reason didn't listen to our awesome intro of 25 minutes of non-Indians and Royals talk. We're talking Royals and Indians in this and we'll – We'll obviously kind of try to expedite it. Probably not expedite. We're going to take forever on this, honestly. But a lot of these lists are hitters. Like, there's maybe four pitchers. And I feel like we've had lists, Ralph, where it's all pitchers, and this just seems like the reverse. So now starts the trend. We're probably going to talk about, I think, about 10 hitters in a row now. So if you're a pitching guru, uh, you're probably done with our show right now. <laughs> we go from McKenzie, and I think the next one we talk about is going to be just Stalmont, maybe. I don't even know if you have another pitcher on the Indians list here, Ralph. Yeah. Do, do so. we have to talk about the Royals pitchers? Yeah, I don't think we do. Brady no. Aiken. We can talk about Brady Aiken if we want. But Bobby Bradley, uh, one of these kind of relatively immobile first baseman who is a lefty in this case, but has a bat, has a legit bat. It's a legit raw power. I like him a lot as far as that goes. I think that it could play up right now if you pop in the major leagues. He's probably a 20, 25, maybe even 30 home run hitter, honestly. Um, he, he reminded me a bit mechanically, Ralph, of E5, Edwin Carnacion from the left side. His hands are a little bit lower. It's slightly open. And he's got pretty crazy bat speed from what I was seeing because he doesn't really move his hands. Usually when you see guys who are hands are a little bit lower like that, he's a little bit crouched in his stance. Back kind of lays flat. It's very relaxed, a very, very relaxed stance. Usually you'll see them with a lot of hand movement, a lot of light hand movement. Bobby Bradley, his hands stay where they are for most of his load, and it's all it's all torque in his upper body. Really, really good quick twitch muscles comes right through with his bat. I think the bat speed is plus plus. I really like what he does on, in that respect. Um, but the breaking ball recognition 
could be better, maybe. I don't really know if I'm overblowing that too much, but he's laying around with 20% strikers. Maybe I'm just being a little bit too harsh in him, but he can take a walk, the average as a whole. So maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking more so with the hit tool as a whole. The hit tool is just what's not great with him. And that might actually be because of the mechanic side, but at the same time, if you sacrifice the mechanic side, then you're probably sacrificing some of his power, and his power is most where most of his game is. So I don't know what the platoon splits are, Ralph. I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Um, Bobby Bradley seems like not a guy good. you like. Do you like that? Yeah, not good. Uh, he is. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah. He, his his platoon split, his pl- his platoon splits are are not good. I'm going to pull him up right now, but uh, that's really the big knock with Bradley is the platoon splits because I love I love his swing and I and I like yeah. his eye. I like his approach to the plate. He does get on base. He's improved his his uh, his, his uh, strikeout rate every single season. He's also another guy that uh, I think that if he made a little bit of tweak here or there with a bat path, you could see monstrous numbers. He's not all that different from your classic slugger, your half the team on the you know the New York Yankees, your your Judge, your Giancarlo, one of those sort of guys. Now I think they may be more swing and miss than than Giancarlo or or Judge. I don't know about Judge. Maybe I mean it's his, his numbers are actually probably better strikeout wise than Judges have been. Um, but he's he's that three outcome sort of guy that his batting average could be anywhere from 230 to 280 on a given season depending upon his luck with balls and play and just you know the way the way things balance but i can't wait to see this guy's exit velocities he's going to mash i think that you know the alonzo signing is a sign that they do have belief that bradley's going to be that guy in a year or two and they have a nice little bridge until he does I like him. I've loved I love Bobby Bradley. He's a top fifty fantasy prospect for me. I think he's underrated on a lot of lists. I don't think guys are giving him his due. He is gonna swing and miss. He doesn't hit lefties all that well. Um, but he's one of those guys that maybe he doesn't hit lefties all that well. He'll get a little bit better. I think he's he'll improve. He's not uh mobile, he's not quick, but he is athletic. I know you mentioned the quick twitch muscles, and I think you see that in his swing that there is, you know, athleticism and real strength there. Um, the guy's just a bull, you know, he's the complete mm-hmm. opposite of what we were saying about Tristan McKenzie. This guy is a linebacker. This guy <laughs> is a linebacker. That's exactly what he looks like. I, I like Bobby Bradley. He's first base only. He's going to get knocked on a lot of lists. I don't knock guys for that. Um, I think he's underrated. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more power last year in Akron, but at the same time, it's the Eastern League. It's not like he was in, you know, Lancaster or the PCL um, or even some of the parks in the International League. So, you know, I can I can balance that. The numbers were good. He made some improvements in terms of his approach. People that saw him in the Fall League did not like him. He looked really bad in the Fall League. I think he was fatigued. I think he was tired. He's played a lot of baseball. Um, yeah, I'm not going to knock him for that. But I know that I think you'll hear a narrative from folks that saw him during his time in the Fall League that, there's a lot of holes in the swing, and he's and he's really bad. There are some, absolutely. He, there's areas that I think major league pitchers can exploit. He'd probably hit 230 in the majors now, but he could probably hit 25 homers. Agree with that for sure, for sure. I, I think most of the time, guys like this have value. That's the thing at the end of the day. Like even if he's not a plus plus defender, even if he's not an average defender, he's hitting 25 home runs. That's going to give back some value to the team and. It may not be the most impressive thing. As I mean, we mentioned these these lists are relatively weak, but he's three on this list. Like, it, are you going to be stunned? I, I'm not going to be stunned. I actually, I am going to be stunned. Excuse me, if he doesn't produce at the major league level, you know. And that's the thing. We see a lot of these lefty guys. Like Lomo is one. You know, you can Dan Vogelbach. We were mentioned at the beginning of the show. Like, 
there's guys like this, like Vogelbach's probably the bad example, but I think he's more on the Lomo variety where it's not amazing anywhere, but a guy like Lomo kind of put together a decent 30 home run season where he figures out a little twitch in his mechanics and is able to kind of see lefties a little bit better, open up a stance a little more, see the ball longer from left hand pitchers, et cetera. Um, he could platoon for the first two years of his career, but I think he's going to have some years that are valuable to a team. And that's what makes a guy like this, who is this close to major leagues, who could put up decent war numbers over the next four years for a team that's competing and a team that might need a left-handed bat with some pop, you know, and I, I like Bobby Bradley. I have to say, I think that he's just a good blend of, of a lot of things that you can, could be valuable on the fantasy side of things and on the, on the real life side of things. And at the end of the day, that's what you want from a prospect. You know, a lot of these guys we're going to get into on both these lists. We're projecting out because they're very, very raw, but probably Bradley isn't raw. We kind of know what he is. He's not capped out as far as the ceiling goes, but his ceiling I think is a little bit lower because we kind of know what he is at present. Like at present, he's a good hitter and he will probably be a good power hitter at the major level. It may not be a good hit tool at the major level, but I think there's value in it. All right, let's take a moment to talk about our friends over at rotoware.com or our friend Kenneth Cashman, the crab, Kenneth Cashman. You can follow him at Kenneth underscore Cashman or at rotoware on Twitter. Killing the fantasy t-shirt game, the highest quality materials, the best designs. He has an exclusive Crab Army t-shirt that I'm wearing right now, Lance. I know you ordered one. I don't know if you saw it yet. They're beautiful. Came in the mail yesterday. He's got another new one coming out, Prospect Stasher, where it's almost like the the patches, like the prospect patch from like the Hells Angels or whatever. It's really cool with the stitching and everything. He's all, I also got another one, which is Advanced Stats. I think it's got XFIP and WOBA. And I wore it to the gym, actually, earlier today when I went for a run. And it's amazing how the, the sweat just beads off of this material. It's the <laughs> highest quality stuff, the best designs coolest stuff that's out there and kenny's a great guy gotta support him use the promo code sagnoff s-a-g-n-o-f to get 20 percent off all your purchases lance do you have anything to add on rotoware i can only confirm that i did purchase a crab army shirt and i'm waiting for it in the mail so uh i'm very jealous you already have yours but uh definitely rotoware is the place to go for all your fantasy apparel ralph i I see ralph on skype now and he's undressing to show me his uh his crab army shirt so anyone's ever want to see ralph's ralph undress uh, i got some video of it i will not give it to anyone don't worry ralph but uh rotoware yeah kenneth cashman kenneth underscore cashman on twitter at rotoware rotoware rotoware.com i have a challenge for anyone go to rotoware buy four shirts and then send me a picture, and I'll probably like like the picture. I'm not going to give you anything, but you should probably just buy four shirts. So uh, support Rotoware and Kenny. And uh, <laughs> let's get back to the show. Jumping to a guy, Nolan Jones, third baseman here. Uh, Nolan Jones and Yu Chang, Yu Chen Chang, excuse me, number five, third baseman and shortstop. The four and five prospects on Ralph's list here. Uh, Jones is. I don't know if I want to say he's a version of Bobby Bradley, but I did notice that both of them have lower hands and that they stay with lower hands. They don't really bring them too, too high into their uh, up on their shoulder. They don't really have high back elbows. Elbow and they tuck too. Elbow yeah, tuck, they have elbow tuck. Hands. That's a good way to put it. And I noticed that with Jones and I noticed some older tape of him too, where they refined him a bit and the raw power is really, really good. But the mechanics overall, I, I couldn't find a decisive reason why his K rate dropped so much Ralph. And I don't know if you know, but it fell from 36% to 22% between 2016 and 2017. And I can't imagine that's all of a sudden him recognizing breaking balls very, very well. Like a Helio Ramos, like if a Helio Ramos guy outfielder for the giants, if his K rate drops 14%, he becomes a top 20 prospect almost immediately. But it, 
for him, it's breaking ball recognition. It seems to me like Nolan Jones had breaking ball recognition and that they were just tinkering with his mechanics a little bit. But I couldn't really find 2016 tape AM and I watched some 2017 tape and I couldn't really tell what changed, you know, drastically for him to cut down that much on the strikeout rate. And I think it's promising that it dropped that much. Like maybe it was just simply him seeing the ball better. You know, you hear a lot of guys like Tommy Pham and uh, Danny Jansen's another guy who end up getting like contacts. Actually, Danny Jansen is a catcher for the Blue Jays, who I think is going to rise up on a lot of lists. Um, when you see the ball, it seems like something really, really basic. But guys who just get better prescriptions on their contacts, like that's a legitimate reason why some of them start hitting. And I, I'm not saying Nolan Jones got contacts. I don't know Nolan Jones, but it seemed like this drastic change is what I'm saying. You know that there's no massive mechanical tweak but you start to see a difference in the hitter as a whole and it shows up in the stats. Um, that stood out to me for him. Um, I don't think he ever kind of gets up to the future 60-ish game power that I've seen some lists project him out to. I think he probably ends up more as a... I'm basically interested to see how good the bat is and whether it can stay at third base or whether he ends up moving to a corner outfield and how mobile he is. But um, yeah, he's interesting to me, Ralph. Do you agree with the fact that he's kind of a version of Bobby Bradley? Just maybe not as polished clearly, but there's something there as far as the mechanics go for me it seemed like there might have been from your agreement here yeah uh i would agree and i think the other thing too that we can't discount is this kid was playing in high school uh a few weeks before he was drafted and then and then put into rookie balls you know and he he walked a decent amount um you know it's and he struck out a lot so it's not like he was walking and he just was passive and wasn't aggressive definitely swings into some stuff when i look at the tape that i saw from like his uh I don't know if it was Perfect Game or, or one of those sites. And stuff that you know from his cages and from his game tape, his uh, lower half, I think they made some tweaks with that. There's a lot less movement. His leg kick was a lot more pronounced at that point. I almost felt like like his knee almost got up to like the middle of his stomach. Um, I think they toned that down a little bit. There was a lot. His hands were really busy. His, you know, he kind of starts off now with a bat in his shoulder and then drops his hands down. He kind of did that a few times back and forth, almost like uh, Gary Sheffield, but not upright. You know, like he would sort of. I see what you're saying. You, you yeah. know what I mean? Like there was like like continuous movement, and then he would sort of cock and swing. Um, so I think they just cleaned up some stuff, and maybe that had a lot to do with it. Um, he's always had like a nice uppercut, you know, bat path. I do think he's going to hit for power. I don't know if it's 60 homer power, but pitch recognition, some athleticism. He's a bigger, tall guy. I think, what is he, 6'5"? Yeah, he's big. He's a big guy. You think he's probably 6'5". I have it up right now. He yeah, is 6'4", 185. Yeah, oh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> And, and he's a and he's a lefty, uh, you know. So I like that. If if he could stick at third base, I know. I think there's been, a, if I'm not mistaken, there's been some defensive questions, but him, uh, well, at least in the field, I think he's got a good arm. So I know that there's been some some rumors of him moving to the outfield, sort of like Josh Lowe, who was another uh, prep third baseman that guys sort of com- <coughs> was sort of compared to. It was him, Kirilov from uh, the Twins, who's coming back now yeah. from Tommy John, who was an outfielder. But they were like some of the the big prep bats that we were sort of discussing last year. Everyone sort of preferred Lowe to Jones. I was the opposite, and I think I've now. Uh, I've now gone full on with Jones. I really like Jones. I think that he's a, a top 100 guy in the making, and there's a shortage of good third base prospects. And I think he's got an opportunity to stick there and sort of has the right profile. And I like what the Indians do with guys like this. So if he could keep that, uh, if he can keep the walk rate, you know, under control, keep the batting average above 250, hit for 25 homer pop, and uh, you know, who knows? We'll, we'll see. But I, I like Jones. I think he's a good prospect. He's 19 years old. He's still a long ways away, but he did show some improvement in that he's, you know, athletic enough to sort of make the tweaks in his own swing. So, 
Yeah, I don't know. We want to talk about Chang now. Yeah, let's jump to Chang. I was gonna, I was gonna do a smooth transition there, but I'll just take your 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 transition. <laughs> I was basically gonna say that you know Jones is a guy who we've seen some improvement in, but Chang's a guy who we really haven't seen too much improvement, and we've probably seen the other way a little bit of deterioration, and some people kind of souring on him overall. Um, I think the swing is decent. He's a guy who kind of fooled me. I tend to do this with some guys where if I can't say I know their stats offhand or how well they are as far as discipline goes or average power, speed, combo, et cetera, or contact ability. I'll sometimes just watch the tape and try to form an opinion. And then I'll jump over to fan graphs and start to look in, into the stats. And I enjoy doing that a lot for some of these deeper guys that I, I admit I haven't seen too much of. And, you know, I like that a lot. And Chang, I did not think had an average that lingered in the low two hundreds as it does and had on base kind of ability that was, not great. And I, I kind of saw some pop there, but I thought it was more contact, honestly, from just watching his swing a couple times and, and digging into some, I think it was 2080 baseball or something like that. I had some video up that I was watching, but uh, you know, the average is concerning. Um, the ISO has been pretty good. It's, it's more of a power hitter than I thought from what I saw, I guess, on your first impression. So if you're watching chain for the first time, I'm interested to see if anyone else has a similar kind of perspective where they watch him. I mean, they don't think the power that he's a kind of a power first guy's guy as we imagine right now but there's also at the same time you don't see a lot of power first guys who i think eventually might end up as utility because he could play short and he's played short and i think obviously he's blocked by francisco lindor but the fact that he's stuck at short through double a makes me think that it's probably a relatively easy transition to get him over to third and get him over to second and with that i don't feel like you see a lot of middle infielders or even infielders as a whole that are non-first basemen who are utility guys with power as their asset so I think it's interesting. He's really unique to me, but I can't really critique him too, too much. There's a little bit of pulsation, I almost think of it, as with his hands when he comes back that I think makes his swing a little bit long and keeps him pretty high that he could probably smooth out. But I don't know if they smooth that out, if that's a momentum thing for him or the power drops if they do that. So I, I almost feel like he's just a hands-off guy for me where you just leave him as is. You keep him on the defensive side, which I think he's relatively average at. You try to make him utility guy with some pop. And at the end of the day, you might have a major league utility guy bench bat who you could put in and who could probably mash lefties and can also play some second and third, which I don't think you can hear too much. So um, I don't know how high you are on him, Ralph, but it seems from our pre-show discussion that you're not the most aggressive. Well, he was at one point like a back end of the top 100 guy for me. And I would still say that he's within my top 200. So I'm not completely, okay. you know, uh, off him. But And I think a lot of the reason is he has elite bat speed. When you watch the tape, of Chang. I mean, he really gets the bat around incredibly yeah. quick from the right side. He does have, you know, nice, I think he's got a, a you know, nice loft to his swing. When he does get a hold of the ball, it rockets off the bat. He's very pull side heavy, pull side power guy, hits the ball in the air a lot, has decent line drive rates. I think he's another guy that would probably uh, be fun to look at the stat cast numbers on. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think he just doesn't necessarily have the right approach all the time though his walk rates haven't been awful he strikes out a little bit too much um and maybe because of the fly balls because of the amount of fly balls he hits that probably drives down his average a little bit he's similar in some ways i think he could carve out a niche as like a second division regular that has fantasy upside the same way that like marcus simeon is where he's like an underrated asset and a guy that maybe starts for a team gives you some uh numbers in terms of power and some steals. Simeon is faster, doesn't have as much power as Chang does, um, mm. but I think that his numbers ultimately would be probably pretty similar to Chang's because Chang runs really well. He's not fast, but he's an instinctual baseball player and a really good, a really good uh, base runner, and uh, so his numbers are always pretty good. 
you know, Simeon's problem is he's on the A's and they don't like to run. But Chang to me could be like a 2010 guy with a 230, 240 average. Yeah, he, I feel like his ceiling is games. If he gets enough games. Yeah, I think I think he's I think that's probably the best way to char- characterize characterize him. But I don't know how <laughs> I messed up that word. Characterize him. <laughs> characterize him. Characterize him. Um and, and, <laughs> But that's the best way I would, you know, that's the best way to characterize him. So, but either way, uh, yeah, I think that uh, there's just a fatal flaw with that batting average, and yeah. he's in a he's on a team where I just don't know where the path. I've been waiting for this guy to get traded for like two or three years. He'd be perfect. <laughs> he'd be perfect for the Marlins. The, the, oh yeah, for the Marlins. Stick him, stick him in the uh, in the middle infield and let him run and hit. We'll see what happens. Man, that Mar- Marlins starting lineup is going to be like JT Riddle and all these funky, funky guys. He'd fit right in. He'd Derek fit Eber. right in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, jumping to number six on your list, Ralph, Will Benson, outfielder. I So speaking of the fan trap, jeez, <laughs> you mess up a word and now I miss a word. It's contagious. It is. <laughs> the Fangraphs Top 100 on Fangraphs, they did a chat with it to go along with it. And I was reading some of their Kylie McDaniel and, and Longenhagen's thoughts. And I don't know if it was Longenhagen or McDaniel who said – that they described a guy as raw as sushi. And I thought it was really funny. I'd never heard it before. And it just kind of stuck in my head. So I will use that same phrasing from either of those two individuals who I cannot remember which one it was to describe Will Benson, the outfielder um, lefty bat for the Indians. This guy, I talked to Ralph pre-show a little bit. I'm interested how much he played baseball before he was drafted because he's got crazy, crazy pop, but mechanically it doesn't look like he's really played too much baseball. And I don't mean that as to, to knock him at all. Like there's power there. If he gets into a ball, the ball's going farther than probably anyone we're going to talk about on either of these lists today, you know, like light years beyond If he gets into a ball, it's going farther than Bobby Bradley. Well, if you give Bobby, Bobby Bradley, like a double juice ball, like this kid is big. He's six, five, two twenty five. But he's very, very raw. And the interesting thing about it that I think we alluded to slightly, Ralph, um, was the fact that he walks a little bit too. So he's got like a 35% K rate that I'm sure is – I mean if he if you put him in the majors right now, he's king about 60% of the time I'll say. But he walks a little bit. So I don't think it's really a breaking ball recognition problem. I think it's just more purely mechanical. And if you watch it mechanically, it just doesn't – I'm not saying he's not athletic. It just doesn't look like – it's not a smooth swing. Like, I'll just say it. it's not a smooth swing. It's choppy. It's weird. It's rigid. It's stiff. But there's power there. There's insane power there. And the comp I want to draw is like a young Monty Harrison. Monty Harrison's a guy, a really, really good example of a guy who is a superb, superb athlete, all-star three-sport sport athlete from my understanding these younger days, who figures it out at baseball and starts to turn into a really, really good hitter with really tantalizing tools. This feels to some extent like Monty Harrison. Monty Harrison is much smaller than Will Benson, but if Will Benson can figure it out on the diamond, he's going to be a scary, scary prospect. But right now it's just really, really raw. It feels just like a really big project to me. I'd probably have him a little bit lower on this list because of it, just because I just really don't know if at this age, even though he's only 19 or whatever, but if you give him like two, three years, does he drop this K rate at all, Ralph? Like, it just seems to me like there's no way he gets under 30%. You know, he, I, I think I shocked you a text the other day. You reminded me of like Micker Adolfo from the White Sox who we talked about, who's just really, really raw, but has breaking ball recognition problems, but has a ton of power when he gets in the ball from the right side. Will Benson feels like that from the left side, but even raw for me. Raw is sushi. I really like that. I'm going to use that all the time. <laughs> what do you think about Will Benson, Ralph? 
Well, I will say this. He was a basketball player. He actually was ah, offered he was actually offered to walk on at Duke. Uh he had a commitment to Duke to play baseball. And uh Coach K had offered him an opportunity to walk on to the Duke basketball team. So wow. he's a good athlete. Um oh, the, I don't thing doubt about, yeah. the thing about him though, I would say it, it would be like if you gave a caveman a baseball bat and said just swing at this ball and try yeah. to hit it. That's what it looks like. It's like if you gave Gronk, if Gronk was a yes. left-handed hitter. Yes. That's what it looks like. I love it. Like it's it's athletic, but like brute athleticism. Like it's it, there's there's just something about it that you're like, whoa. Like I almost feel like at, at times, like like he drops his hands to the point like it's in front of his front leg and he just swings. Yeah. You know? Like, and he's strong enough where if he makes contact, the ball's going <laughs> four hundred and fifty feet. But is he gonna make contact a lot? No, no, he's not. <laughs> no, not at all. And I and I would say the only reason I had him as high as I have him is I you know, I think once you dig into this Indians list after the top it's five, not, yeah. it's not good and and I would much he's rather play, play the upside card there that hey, maybe sure. this guy sure. turns into something. At least now he hits for power than you know, Greg Allen, who's probably a fourth outfielder. And, uh, you know, Connor Cappell or, you know, Julian Merriweather or some of these pitches we're not even going to talk about today that I just, whatever, they're like number five starters, you know, so give me me Gronk with a bat then, you know, (laughs) I don't think think there's anything else I really need to add on him. I just figured I'd drop the Duke thing on. I didn't mention it in my write up. Um, Yeah, but I think you hit the nail on the head there, Lance. There's not much we could say. It honestly looks like he's never played baseball before. Yeah, he's Gronk with a bat. I like that. We're sticking with that. George Valera, number seven on your list, Ralph. We'll speed through the end of this. We're hitting right around the hour mark, I think, so we'll, we'll transition right over to the Royals list in a bit. But uh, uh, Valera is a G2 guy who was ranked number five overall on the J2 list, the international prospect list, for 2017. He signed for $1.3 million. MLB.com had him a bit lower. So, I mean, obviously there's a ton of variability on these lists because how many looks really do you get at these guys? And you know, the, the opinions can differ wildly. But um, he was signed for a pretty good amount. He's super, super, super loose at the plate from the the tape I saw. I mean, he's a lefty bat, really, really young. I think he's only 17 or 18. But I thought the, the thing that stood out to me is that I think there's a bit of natural loft in his swing where the path of his bat, if he matures as a hit result at all, I don't think it's going to – ever be like a heavy ground ball guy like you see a lot of these guys who come out of you know latin american countries with very level bats very level simple swings where you start to kind of figure out you know can they adjust kind of their torso to try to get the ball up a little bit more but valer's hands start pretty low similar to guy honestly i feel like everyone from the left side on this list has hands that start low nolan jones bobby bradley um valer's bat starts pretty low and i like him overall it's just it's super super loose there's a lot of movement but it's raw and it's, it's probably not as raw as Will Benson. That's like raw as sushi, as I was saying. But Valera, I, I like him. I'm interested. And, I mean, he's touted for a reason on this list. And the Indians are willing to pay him 1.3. And that's that's hefty for an international prospect. And he's pretty young. I like him overall. I, I don't mind the bat. I mean, it looks funky. But a guy this young, you really got to look at, you know, what he could develop into. And I'm trying to get better at that on the international side is looking at these kids who are really, really young and starting to see, you know, you don't have to. I don't have to take something that I don't like in his swing, like the fact that Valera has a ton of movement. I don't have to say I don't like him because of that. I can say that I, I don't mind him and that I think he could be reasonable, you know, because of the raw tools as they are. And if he tinkers a little bit with that and cuts out some of that movement, he's going to be a great contact bat. I think he's going to end up being like a two eighty hitter with some pop. Honestly, and, I mean, he's really young, a lot of projection going on, etc. But uh, I don't know if you got a chance to look at him, Ralph. But um, I'm intrigued by him. I think he's a guy that you could see in another year to jump up to inside five on this list, especially with the Indians being such a good team and not really mm-hmm. having too many high draft picks to end up with a guy in the supplement around that could jump up. So I'd keep an eye on Valera. I think he's going to be pretty good. What about you? 
Yeah, I think he's one of these guys that a year from now he has an opportunity to be somebody that is uh, flying up lists. And, you know, like Louis Garcia is this year for the Nationals, who we'll get into is like the yeah. last show before our top 100. <laughs> yeah, uh, but he's a guy that's going to be in a lot of top 100 lists. And I think or like lurking around that 100 number that, you know, depending upon what he does out of camp and, and where he's assigned and what he does either in full season or short season ball, he's a guy that at the end of 2018, we could be talking about it like a surefire consensus top 100 guy I think Valera is maybe two years away from being that you know when someone says that a pitcher has really easy velocity I think that he is like the hitter version this guy has really easy power like his his swing is so fluid and and like so relaxed the funniest thing is he almost has like duck feet in terms of like both of his feet like his back foot I don't know if you noticed has turned in a little bit I didn't see that now. But but I think it allows his hips to transition so smoothly. And the huh. thing that I really liked about this guy wasn't necessarily the bat path and the easy power, but I think that all comes from his hips. His hips are just super fluid. You know, like when you see a guy that knows how to, you know, like a great golfer, you know, like mm-hmm. it's not that he, he it, you know, he gets, he gets, you know, gets around on it and just threw the ball so fluid and so smooth and so quickly it's the same thing with this guy that you know he doesn't have like that big loud like you know sort of swing he's like the opposite of chang where i feel like he gets the belt the bat around and gets like you know power but it's not like it's not like he's moving the bat doesn't just like rocket across your eyes you know Mm. um and i think a lot of it comes down to his weight transition and how fluid his hips are. That's the one thing that I noticed with this guy. I think he's got easy power. I think he's a middle of the order, you know, future middle of the order, lefty bat. Um, I don't know if he's an outfielder every day. I really can't tell that sort of stuff defensively yeah, on either. the tape. Um, but I, I will say I think he's a guy that might be discounted in some of these J2 lists if you look back and read them because he's a bat first guy. This is the type of prospect we should be going after in fantasy, not a shortstop that sort of has all these loud defensive tools. Um, those guys aren't bad because sometimes they figure the bat out to get an opportunity. We've seen that happen a lot, but Valera is like a Juan Soto sort of prototype. He's in the same bucket as like a Juan Soto, and I love those guys. You should be targeting those guys. I think he's a great player if you pick him in your first-year player draft somewhere later on in like, you know, the, the late first round or early second if you can get him. I agree with that. That's a very good point, too. You know, I like the Juan Soto comp, too. It's another – he's just high floor. I think that he can end up being a high floor with the bat. And I don't really – I don't mind if he ends up being a corner outfielder. He doesn't put a lot of defensive value up. But that's the reason why I think a lot of those international prospects stand out, too, is because they have all the tools. And, you know, you go down there and you see these guys and they're like, oh, he can hit a little bit. And he can also feel he's got a really good arm. He's got speed. But for fantasy, I don't feel like you, you really highlight too many guys who are just good bats. And that seems like what Valera is. So I, I keep an eye on him. Keep an eye on him. first-year player draft. Keep an eye on him you know, and listen how he does this season, et cetera. Um, let's combo up these last three and then we'll jump into the Royals list. Greg Allen, outfielder, Connor Capel and Quentin Holmes trio of bats for the Indians here. Greg Allen is a guy who got some major league playing time. I'm just going to run through these guys, Ralph, and then you toss in your, your opinion on him here. Um, I rem- reminded a little bit on the Greg Allen side of things. He's a lot of his torque in his upper body. It comes from his upper body in his stance. And that's really the only way he's going to generate power. I think you kind of mentioned already, he kind of feels like a fourth out, outfielder. And I agree with that. He reminds me a little bit too of a guy who, you know, you see a lot of speed in the minor leagues that isn't elite speed, but it's good speed, you know? And when that ends up getting up to the major leagues where you have advanced catchers who could throw out runners consistently it doesn't really play up like it did in the minor leagues i think he can end up being kind of a 15 to 20 stolen base guy but i really don't see you know the the 38 for 45 ish that he was throughout his minor league career in the last couple of years um and I, i'm just interested i think it ends up being more you know 
outfielder, probably a decent glove overall with his speed and ends up being 15 bags, really not a lot of home runs. Maybe if he's lucky, he turns into a guy like Rajay Davis, but I think Rajay Davis honestly has more speed. So um, I don't, I don't really love the mechanics hitting wise. It's not that smooth, but it's not choppy. I, I'm kind of on the fence as to what to think overall, and I just am a little worried because there's not a discernible tool. Like you could argue that speed is a discernible tool, but I really don't think it's more than kind of 20 bag speed. So I don't think it could be that discernible at the end of the day. So redraft if you're going really deep, ale only. I feel like you might be able to target him in, in a league like that really really late if you just want a guy to get some playing time i think he ends up getting some at bats especially if you know brody zimmer and some of these other guys end up being injured permanently throughout the season so uh i'll pass it back to you quickly for your thoughts on greg allen ralph what are your opinions overall yeah see i i think i think al allen can run i mean even if it's not like i mean i i think it could still move but he's just instinctual on the base pass like he's somebody that that knows how to steal bags he can get on base a little bit. I was I was pretty high on a couple of years ago. He had a much better year. He was a little injury plague this year. He just he had some funky things. But mm-hmm. you know, I don't I don't know if he's uh, I don't know if he's an I don't know if he's an everyday guy at this point. I just think he's a I think he's Jared Dyson. I think that's the kind of the kind of okay. player that he is. Um, but yeah, I mean, the run is probably a sixty, not a seventy. But yeah. I think that he can. I think he can steal thirty bags a year. But I just I don't okay. know if we get enough playing time. Um, but he's not that exciting from a from a you know hitting perspective he he had a good year a couple of years ago in lynchburg he was a little bit older for a, a a high a guy so that might have been part of it too but uh yeah i don't know it's it's tough with alan because i really liked him at one point i think because he was a switch hitter that you know made some decent contact and had some speed and stole some bases and i could see him maybe yeah. sneaking into the outfield where i thought zimmer was tanking uh and and you know Tyler Nyquin got an opportunity, so why why not Greg Allen with the way that he's you know stealing bases? But I don't know, he's not somebody I'm all excited about at this point. He's depth in a dynasty league, and you'd have Agreed. to have a relatively deep dynasty league. Um, yeah, I don't know. You want me to go in on Capel or Holmes or yeah. one of those guys? I mean, I think Capel is actually kind of interesting as is Holmes. Holmes is a guy I'll, I'll, I'll give you a very brief um, sure. high school guy, Northeast kid, very raw, raw than sushi. Um, but, but I think there is some ability there. I, I, he's not going to hit for a lot of power. The numbers look bad, but he's got speed and, uh, you know, he's, he's got an opportunity to be a, like a lead off hitter. Maybe he can be a better version of Greg Allen. I'm just not going to write him off because he's a a Northeast high school kid. The numbers were bad, but they got a lot of time to develop him. So we'll, we'll see what happens. As for Capel, Capel, they reworked the swing from a year ago. Uh, he got his lower half more involved. Uh, what it did is ultimately it, it led to him uh, bumping up his fly ball rate by about twenty percent. He was like a, almost a sixty percent ground ball rate guy uh, back in twenty sixteen in his debut, and uh, you know he hit for more power. He had a twenty two homer, fifteen steal season. He hit two forty six. So you know he's 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 not going to win any batting titles, but he's got some power. He's got some speed. And uh, when I watched him, I wrote it in my write-up is, you know, I really noticed that he was grinding out at bats. He was fouling off balls. He was taking pitches and, and really trying to, you know, and work at bats and take better at bats. And that's something that they worked on with, worked on with him in the off season. And he's still only 20 years old. So I think there is, and he's got 70 grade speed. He's got a standout tool. So I think there's something there, power and 70 grade speed. Okay. Let me see what you can do. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, uh, Holmes, I like home swing a, a decent amount. I feel like a lot of the people, guys on this list here, honestly, like three through nine, that you could kind of knock for certain aspects of their swing. And I know that Holmes has a ton of K issues right now overall, but 
I, I don't mind it. I, I think it's a relatively decent string. I was actually kind of surprised that he was striking out that much with it. I think that there's some tinkering that could easily go on to bring that down to the 25-20 window. So I know that's a huge drop, but I, I think I'm a little bit more bullish on him overall just because I like the raw tools. Um, 182 average and 170 plate appearances is, is relatively gross, but I, I'm going with the eye test on Holmes. I, I like him. I'm going to keep an eye on him. Um, I usually don't say that for a lot of the guys that back ends the list, but I like Holmes a lot. Connor Capel, yeah, he's another guy too who you would say they adjusted the swing from the lower half. I think they also adjusted from the upper half too. I saw him back on like Prospect Pipeline video where he has like, it's not a hand pump, it's more like a hand twitch where he'd come up and down with his bat and then go into his load and they cut out the first half of that and i think that had to do a lot with his appreciation and value on the offensive side of things where they just cut out the unnecessary motion and he's going forward but it's unorthodox compact power i usually love compact power from the left side i love pavin smith one of the reasons why i love him but it's weird it's not as smooth as pavin smith etc and that's obviously why he's not in the same tier as pavin smith whatever but I, I don't I don't love it as much as I thought I would if you told me up front that he's compact power from the left side kind of guy. Um, and I'm not really sure why, but I'm really going eye test on these last two guys here as opposed to anything just because, you know, we have a much better sample with Capel. But I like Holmes' swing a lot. I can't say I'm in love with Capel's swing. But if there's a chance that Capel gets in major leagues and Holmes doesn't, I'd probably agree with you there um, just because of the developmental aspect. But Holmes is a guy I think could jump up a little bit. I'm going to keep an eye on him. Um, do we want to talk Brady Aiken? We can just make the rest of this podcast 20 minutes of Brady Aiken if you want, Ralph. We can do it. <laughs> I think it'd be let's, hilarious. Let's not do that. Let's not do that and say <laughs> you don't see I, don't e- I don't even want to talk about Brady Aiken now. All right, we don't have to. We don't have to. Don't worry. <laughs> Royals, we can talk about Nick Prado. We both like Nick Prado a lot. Um, yes. First baseman, they tinker with his swing a lot. If you watch any of his, I want to say, perfect game tape, he is all upper body in those videos it is no lower half it's all step swing and it's all comes from the torso not the best hip and shoulder separation with it because of that because he's not extending a lot of his lower half you watch him now it's a different swing he's into his leg kick really really nice it's a beautiful timing it's a combo of timing and weight transfer you see a lot of guys who will just pick up and put down their front foot and that's more of a timing thing you'll see other guys with a big leg kick that really gets some momentum into the ball prod is a beautiful blend of both lefty bats smooth swing 14 overall in 2017 um, uh, that's the main thing that stood out for me overall. You can't really say too, too much. I know we got a decent sample of games from him. Um, 25% K rate, 10% walk rate. He stole some bags. He was 10 for 14 on the base pass. I thought the ISO was pretty nice. I think there's more pop here though, is the thing. I think that at the, as time goes on, you'll start to see the power and the speed kind of flip where he'll get into his bat more and the speed's probably going to drop off a little bit. Um, I like Nick Prado a lot. I think I had him a hundred overall on my list. I snuck him in there just cause I kind of like aesthetically what I saw from him and watching tape and what they done and what I think he could become overall as a hitter. And I think he could become a high two hundreds hitter with some pop 25, uh, home runs and I, I probably maybe ends up corner outfielder spot I'm hoping just because it's going to be a little bit lower of a standard for the bat to become relevant but I think right now he's being played at first a lot so if you want to be concerned over anything on the fantasy side of things it's that it's a matter of you have to project out the bat enough to see it be any bit valuable at first base uh, Ralph your thoughts on Nick Prado yeah, I like Prado a lot. He's got a good approach. He, he barrels a ton of balls. As you said, uh, they made some tweaks to his swing. And I didn't think that the swing wasn't bad, but it was sort of raw and undeveloped, especially in the lower half, as you had mentioned. And they've added the leg kick. It gets into it well. Um, you know, I think he's going to tap into more power. He's still only 19 years old. And it's funny. I think his bat is so good that it is a, pretty much a first base prospect. And it's funny because he's almost, he's not, it's not that he's not athletic and he moves well at first base, but. He's a, 
he's a first base guy. It's just he's like a high school first baseman that was taken. It's, it's weird. With the top yeah. fifteen picks. Not many of those guys. It's like Eric Hosmer. There's like really not many of those guys. It's just it's obviously a coincidence that it's also maybe not that it's also the Royals that made that decision potentially as you know Hosmer's long term replacement. Who knows? Going to take a while for him to get up. But I really like what I see. Quick bat, good bat to ball skills. I see the raw power there. I see him be able to develop it. He looks like he's just a professional hitter. He gets the, that side of things. Good pitch recognition skills. Um, and he's an everyday first baseman. And I don't think he's there just because he can't play anywhere else. I think it's just where he's probably best. Uh, yeah. I'm okay with it. I'm okay because I think that he has the bat. He gets a ton of like Joey Votto comps. Um, but hmm, interesting. This, this kid was you know, a star on the high school prep circuit in California. He was California. a two-way, I think, right? He, he was, I, I believe he was a two-way prospect as well. He did pitch as well, um, which might be why he was at first base so they could rest him a little bit in his arm, right? Uh, they do do that, Brandon McKay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I just think ultimately the bat is great. He's a, he's a great prospect, and uh, he's somebody that I rated really highly in first-year player drafts because I think two years from now we're going to be like, why didn't I take that guy top five overall? I mean, this kid can just hit. <laughs> And I think I think it's the kind of guy that he could potentially turn into. That's what his upside is: is that he's just a uh, oh one of the best hitters in the minors. Oh yeah, this kid when he comes up is going to hit three hundred and hit for some power. You know, I just think he's one of those guys. Yeah, I, I think the combination of speed, the fact that he has an arm, assumed because he was a pitcher in high school, makes me want to predict almost somewhat confidently that he ends up in the corner outfielder spot. And I know that he's probably a better okay. for defensive first baseman. I just. I feel like there's more value there overall if you put him in a corner spot. I know you could be like Bellinger's a guy who was touted for his defense through the minor leagues. He comes up and the defensive metrics don't really love him. He's kind of average from what I understand. I think he's probably a little bit above average just because everyone is below average. So if you look at Bellinger, he's at the top of that list. But you're not really gaining a ton of value by leaving him at first base. I'm interested to see if in the offseason here as you get into the spring. I think that rolls around Arizona somewhere. um, Whether they start taking with him in the outfielder because – because he has speed and because he has an arm, it just is odd for me at this age, at 19, in rookie ball to have him stuck at first base. I feel like there's something there that can move him to the outfield. That's just a little personal thing that I, I think might happen, and I, I'm, I'd be extremely excited if that does happen because I think it's just quicker path to the major leagues, et cetera, and I think he could be a little more value as a, you know, a fourth outfielder on your fantasy team as opposed to a first baseman that you have to kind of convince yourself that you know some – decent power with a little bit of speed and decent average is better than, you know, a guy who could just mash 35 home runs. So um, speaking of a guy who mashed 35 home runs, Khalil Lee, uh, vicious, vicious swings. I, I like this guy from that aspect alone. I'm interested to see whether he's actually 170 pounds. I know he's slightly undersized. I think Fangrass has him at 170. He looks a little bit stockier than that to me. He put on a lot of weight. I was watching. He was in a home run derby, I think, at one point. And his swing changed a lot from then, a lot more into his lower half. His hands are lower. It reminded me actually a little bit of what they did to Austin Meadows and his swing changes, um, which is a weird comp I know. But uh, it just it just because I've been hearing so much about what they did to Austin Meadows, I was thinking of that as I was watching tape of Khalil Lee. And I watched the home run derby, and it was very different from what he was looking like in the, uh, I want to say, Arizona League, where he was he got some reps earlier this year. Um, a lot of pop, the raw pops there. It's probably going to stick there, and it's it's pretty good. But um, I, I I don't know, I don't know what the ceiling is with him. And I, I think that's probably where I'm the most confused. He feels almost like a combination to some extent. Like if you compare him to Nick Prado, like the skills are 
somewhat similar, but I think the paths will go in different directions. I think Prado ends up more as a, a higher-ish 200s hitter with some pop, whereas Khalil Lee probably needs more power than anything um, to get ahead and actually succeed at higher levels. And, you know, striker rate's been a problem for him at 32%, really not efficient at all in the base paths, which is why I think that if he puts on more weight, he probably ends up getting into his power more. So maybe I'm projecting out the power more than most people would. But, I mean, he took some hacks I saw that are just full body into the ball, and I, I'd be stunned if that ball isn't going 400 feet. Uh, do you see the uh, eventual path of Khalili like I do, Ralph? Yeah, I think that he I, like you. He's just he's not going to be key on Broxton. I know that he had a 2020 yeah, no, season. I don't he either. runs he runs right now, but when he had 18 caught stealings out of uh, 38 attempts, it's pretty someone's bad. Someone's going to tell you to stop. <laughs> yeah, someone's eventually going to tell you to stop. And it's funny because he's one of these guys that at times I'm like, oh, he's athletic, and then like if you look at him, this is going to sound very strange. If you look at him from behind, he's like sort of well built. Like he's got a strong back. And he does. Trim. Yeah a trim middle, but then you look around the front and you're like, dude, do you drink a lot of beer? Like he kind of <laughs> has like, like that Willie Calhoun front gut. You know what I mean? That's funny. I didn't, I didn't actually notice that with him. I just noticed that he got bigger. Like he, yeah. I, I, I don't think he's 170. He's gotta be like 180, 190. Yeah. And he gets, he gets into his power. Um, like I said, I'm not going to say that he's not athletic. I don't know if, you know, maybe he was a little hurt. He was hurting and they were still sending him to get a hamstring thing or something. And they sure. were still sending him in the base pass and he lost it a little bit. I thought he ran better than he did. And when I watch tape at times, I'm like, well, he's not slow. But some of the grades I see, they think he's like a future 40 speed guy. So they really think that the body's going to get bad or that, you know, he's going he's gonna to max out in terms of strength and become more of a power hitter. I think that's the kind of hit guy that he's going to have to be. He's going to have to be a 30 homer hitter or a 25 homer hitter uh, because the batting average isn't going to be good. And he gets everything into it, like you said. Um, if I could re-rank this list, I think Mateus would have been higher. I like Mateus' swing more than I like Khalil Lee's. I don't know if you agree with me on that or not. Um, I'll take Lee's, actually. I think Whoa, Mateus, really? Yeah, Mateus's is interesting to me. He... I was watching a bit of tape of him. He's a righty, so he's obviously flipping sides here. Um, I think that he has a little bit more work to do in where his hands go in his swing that I, I don't think Matthias, or excuse me, I don't think Khalil Lee has to really deal with. I think Lee has right now a matter of just figuring out. And I mean, I want to comp it back again to Prado because I think that when you look back in two years on both these guys, what kind of hip hitter and player they are are going to be very different than what they are right now. I think Prado turns into more of a really good contact approach guy. And I think Khalili turns into pretty much an all out power guy. And right now they're both kind of teetering in the same area. You know, Khalili has got a bunch of strikeout problems. Nick Prado, I think still you're just not getting a big enough sample from because they, they finally get him to a full position player. He's no longer pitching like he did in, in the high school, et cetera. But Matthias, I don't love some of the, motions i've seen in his swing and how high the strikeout rate is i think that Khalil Lee's strikeout rate at the moment is a little bit more manageable and i think what they do to his swing going forward can bring that down to high 20s whereas matthias i think you have to change a bit of his fundamental to get that strikeout rate down into the 30s into the low 30s because i think it is pretty high right now um but the raw pops there if you're looking at raw pop from the right side and i assume lee's probably gonna end up with some split issues even with a little bit of an open stance where he probably sees the ball a little bit longer um yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I'll take Lee over Matthias, but uh, I'm interested in your take on why you'd go Matthias over Lee. I like Matthias's uh, lower half more. Okay. And I think that Matthias barrels a lot more balls. Everyone talks about you know the readings of his exit velocities and workouts and games and everything else. And uh, I think he's got better raw power. 
I, I, I just, I don't like a lot of Lee's swings where it almost seems like he's about to do a split because his lower half yeah, he's is aggressive. like so extended. It's aggressive, um, aggressive. You know, his, it's funny because I feel like we're talking about all the same guy. This guy's spring isn't all that different from Bobby Bradley's. The elbow is a little less tucked. Um, at least in like the preload. And then all of a sudden he gets like all big up and high with it, with the elbow. Matthias does, uh, be, you know, before his actual load, it's, it's, or, or, you know, before his actual swing, it's kind of funny. Um, but I like the bat path better. I just, I think he's going to be a better hitter. You know, um, I know that they're the same age, but I just buy, I, buy, I feel like there's a chance Lee's body gets worse and he gets worse where Matthias, I think goes the other direction. I just, He's one of these. I don't know. Maybe yeah. it's because he's an, he's an international prospect, and I just I always get a little gaga over guys that have been, <laughs> you know that have power that are these international prospects because I feel like they haven't had the same level of coaching that like American kids have, and maybe that's wrong. That's fair. a lot of them because a lot of them are in these academies, so that could be totally incorrect. But I just feel that um, you know maybe there's not not as much mechanical focus and more focus on other things. I don't know. I'm talking out of my ass right now, but to be <laughs> honest, I just, I like a swing more I like the bat path more. I just, I think that at times Lee just gets away from himself. I mean, he's one of these guys that like fouls off a ton of ground balls, like almost like off his foot. Like he's one of those guys. Yeah. I don't know. He reminds me of a catcher the way he swings the bat. He's got, he's got a really, really, really aggressive swing. Yeah. I, I think I might've, I might've undersold exactly how aggressive that swing is honestly, I think I undersold it. Uh, it's, yeah, if you, it's everything. It's his whole body to the ball. It's like, it's like if Mejia added like sixty pounds, you know, <laughs> like and Francisco Mejia, the catcher for the Indians. I'm jumping back to the Indians list now. Gets a lot of his body into the ball, but it's not as aggressive as Lee does, and I, I can see why people don't like that. But I don't know. I think it's a good debate. It's a fun debate to have. I think between the two of them. Um, jumping out to MJ. Oh man, Melendez. Melendez. You, I don't know you, why. There's a E. The first too, E screwed me up. You're too young for the Melendez brothers, apparently. Oh, I definitely am. I don't know the Melendez brothers are. <laughs> is one of them MJ and is one a catching prospect for the Royals? No, they, <laughs> murdered no. they, they were rich kids that murdered their parents. Uh, oh, anyway, boy, so we go. <laughs> they're not. But this kid, have you seen him play defense? This is going to be hilarious because we're a fantasy, a fantasy uh, uh, focused podcast. I don't think I've seen any, any defense from them. No. Whoa. Really? Dude. He is a dude behind the plate. Like Tony Pena, I don't know if you remember him. Like I do, yeah. Throwing people out from like the crouch, like boom, boom, yeah. dude. He's got a howitzer behind the plate. Oh wow! Um, and he's a little bit raw, you know, at the plate. But he's a guy that uh, Chris Kusiolik, who obviously you know, if you follow Cali Kusiolik on Twitter, yeah. he's out there, you know, uh, scouting the backfields. And actually, the uh, the video I have of him that I've been watching, I think, is from your. Is it Jason Panini? Panini. That's your buddy? Yeah, he's my boy. He's the man. Yeah, he's he's got tape here on uh, on MJ Melendez. That's the, what I watched. Yeah, the description is the world. The words "defensive wizard" will be described to to describe will be used to describe Melendez. And it's actually the beginning of the video is him throwing from his his knees. So you th- you saw it, you just didn't realize. It. I didn't realize. I probably skipped it over. <laughs> yeah, I think he's got some power projection. He's kind of interesting, you know, at least as a as a as a catching prospect. I think he just talks about it. Just speaks to how bad this royal system is. That this draft is pretty much what they got, and a couple of other kids yeah. with like Lee and Matthias, and then Hunter Dozier is like. 
26 years old. He's going to be 27. I know. <laughs> and I kind of like him. Is that weird? <laughs> no, because he missed a year because of injuries and yeah, whatever. But, you know, I don't know. Melendez is one of these guys that you got to wait and see. His father is uh, the coach of Florida International, so he's a oh. coach's kid. And he's just a talented baseball player. He's played a lot of baseball, but he's raw at the plate. I think he needs to figure some things out, but there's some pop there. There's some things with the bat, and I just think that his defense is going to give him an opportunity for him to figure out the hitting side of things. So uh, I think it just speaks to how bad this Royal system is that he's for. And I, and I think maybe the future projection, I was buying the upside. I, if you had Dozier higher than him, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, what we're talking about, you know, guys outside probably the top 120, 150 on most lists, and it's it's marginal differences between them. But the thing I know is Mendel is a swing from watching it is that it's really, really flat bat. I actually kind of like his line drive rate, so I think that there could be something there as far as adjusting that out. But he does a little weird thing if you watch him from the side where his – when he's in his stance, his bat, like, doesn't wrap, but it's so level. He, like, loads it really weird. He's almost like – points he moves the barrel of the bat towards the pitcher behind his head if that makes any sense and then he comes into a swing and it's it's added length that i think is an issue with him and that's one of the reasons why he has a 30 percent k rate but the line drive drive rate's interesting because it's a level plane and i think that he could make that into a pretty good approach like he could be a, an offensively viable catcher i think if because if, i honestly didn't know the defense was this good with him this is definitely a lapse on my part not realizing that but uh but I actually kind of like what they can adjust. I think they can adjust a couple things with the swing to become relatively decent offensively. So I think the combination of our thoughts here might actually turn into a decent player <laughs> if, if the defense is that good. And, and I think they can adjust the swing to get it to be viable behind the plate. He could be the heir apparent to Salvador Perez. And I think that Royal Sims would be pretty happy with that overall. Hunter Dozer is the other guy you mentioned here, Ralph, third base outfielder. Um, I kind of like him. And I don't really want to say that in public, honestly. <laughs> Just because, I mean... It, he got riddled by injuries, and he's a guy that you kind of forget about. But throughout the minor leagues, he's pretty good. He's a little bit bigger of a guy. It's a really simple swing from the right side. I, I like it. I think it's pretty conducive to power. I don't know how much of it is non-pull power, you know, for him to actually become like a really viable, good, good, decent upper echelon-ish kind of power guy. But he reminds me a little bit of like a Colin Moran where, you know, there was a little bit of prospect hype at a point. But and Moran had to go through a ton of adjustments mechanically, whereas Dozier just kind of had injuries. But there's similar tier where, you know, we had hopes for them at one point, a little bit bigger, thought they had some power. They could end up with 25 to 30 on run pop, and then they just kind of don't do it for various reasons. So, I mean, it's the classic example of a, I don't want to say busted yet because I like him a bit, but almost a busted prospect. And it's disappointing just because I think that he had a decent future at times, but now it's more of a matter of salvaging it. And that is the reason why I think a lot of people kind of sour on prospects. So. Um, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm at, I'm at his funeral speaking. (laughs) (laughs) I I think the thing that's interesting about him is he actually has an opportunity to, um, actually play every day. I, I, I don't know, but I mean, they need some, they need warm bodies. It's too bad. He doesn't play third base uh, anymore. You know, like really play third base anymore. Who knows? Maybe, maybe he gets a shot. Maybe they're, they're so hurting for players. He gets a shot. I think he's going to get major league at bats. It's just a matter of, you know, when, but I I like, uh, I like Hunter Dozier. Actually. I, I do think that there's, there's a chance there that he turns into a viable fantasy player. I don't think he's ever going to be a superstar, but I think he can be good. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I think he could be interesting. He could be a guy who he's a guy who could end up being one of those hot commodities and redrafts where everyone looks at him and goes, Oh, this might be it. And then in two months, you're like, yeah, it's not it. But for that two month, two week stretch, he could be interesting. You know, we hit on another guy who was, uh, uh, we just, we just talking about him. I forgot him already. Greg Allen, Greg Allen, ale only ish. These guys can be relevant in ale only leagues in redraft ale only leagues, honestly. And I think that's where the value is in them. Um, last three on the Royals list here, Michael Gigliotti, um, Josh Stalmont, right-handed pitcher, Gigliotti is an outfielder, and then Nicky Lopez, second baseman, shortstop. Uh, I'm going to jump down to Nicky Lopez here just because I saw some AFL tape of him, and I think he was relatively interesting in that stretch in 2017, and he kind of hopped onto some radars. Um, there's not a lot of power here. Um, the bat's pretty flat through the zone, as I was mentioning with uh, Melendez here, but uh, it's it's not as conducive to gap power as I would like. But I almost feel like to some extent he ended up being like a down the lines kind of power guy, and I think the defense is pretty good overall. He's, he puts the bat on the ball really, really well, and I think that that's what you're buying in with him. He feels like one of the better utility guys, and when I say that, I think that there's some room where he can end up being an everyday second baseman with really not too much fantasy relevance. But he's a, he feels utility ish, but I think that the tools are good enough overall from the approach standpoint, defense standpoint and what he does to make contact and what I hope can end up being more gap power than it is right now with his swing. Uh, I, I, I like it. And then the thing I know is mechanical with him is that he, he is almost already in his stride when he's swinging. It's, it's extended. It's almost like if you remember the lower half of like, this is a weird, weird comp, but Jorge Posada where he, his front foot was out. He was in his load. He never really came back and like kicked or anything, but that front foot was down. He's not a front foot hitter at all. He's just kind of in what he's going to do with his stance. There's really not a lot of movement in the lower half. That's kind of what Nicky Lopez reminded me of where there's, there's nothing going on with the lower half. It's there. It's, it's fully extended when he's in his swing. And um, I can't say I love that from a power standpoint, but that's probably one of the reasons why I don't think he could end up being, end up being a, a decent gap power kind of guy. But uh, your thoughts on Nicky Lopez before we jump back up to Stalmont and Gigliotti, Ralph? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. He is a future uh, utility guy. You know, he's not going to hit all that much, um, but he can hit for some for some average. And, you know, he's not awful. I mean, he's not like he's terrible at the plate, but he's not somebody that you probably want to play every day. But you never know. He could probably carve out a niche as a starting second baseman or a shortstop someplace. Uh because sometimes, you know, it's 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 not necessarily a deep position. There's a lot of guys like him that that sort of find a niche and find everyday playing time. And, you know, maybe he turns out to be a little bit better than we thought he would be. It's sort of how it was with Jose Ramirez, though I know he was younger and his minor league numbers yeah, were better. But, you know, I, we never thought he would be a top 100 fantasy guy, let alone a top round, top 20 fantasy no, guy. No way. And I don't think that's what Nicky Lopez is, because I think he's actually older than Jose Ramirez is, to be honest with you. But... You know, I, he could he he's a good enough baseball player that he's going to carve out a niche in the major yes, leagues. He's yes. going to be on a twenty five man roster, and shit happens. So that's where his value Never comes know. from. You know, that's a good point. Yeah, and then you look at a guy like Gigliotti. He got up to low A. He's got a little hand pump in his swing. I think the, another level bat here. I feel like we have a lot of the guys in the system that swing relatively similar. And it's funny because I feel like you know Gigliotti, Nicky Lopez. And Melendez off level bats, and then you have like the low hands of the Indians team, where it's like Nolan Jones, yeah. Bobby Bradley, and low hands. Valera even had low hands, and and et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know. I feel like they clash together some of these guys. I wonder if that's a drafting thing with the teams or development side. But um, um that's besides the point. Gigliotti, 
Uh, wasn't really efficient on the bases too, too much. Not much power, but I thought his slash was decent. He was 302, 378, 419. Really, really, really small sample, and the bat was pretty high. But probably looking into that a little bit too much. Um, what are your thoughts on Gigliotti? Yeah, I think the only reason I put Gigliotti there is because he went to a smaller school, Lipscomb. He's the first player to be drafted out of Lipscomb ah, since 19, cool. 1975. Um, wow. He put up really good numbers in, in college. And, uh, yeah, he's a contact leadoff get on base. He could drop down a bunt. He can steal some bases. Um, I don't think he has any necessarily standout tools as much as he's like one of those center field types that could, could carve out a niche. It's the Royal system. This is what they have. They have guys like this sure, that sure. we're now talking about, but yeah, I mean, I, I think he's got enough baseball skills that he's kind of interesting. Um, I think I described him as, as the kind of player that your old school uncle would love. And I think it's exactly what he is. <laughs> you know, he I plays like a, like a decent center field. You know, he's got one of those swings where he kind of just like everything kind of moves, you know, with momentum wise, one, smooth, one yeah. side of the zone to the other. It's very level, very smooth. Um, he's not going to hit a lot of homers, but uh, I'm, I'm actually shocked that he hit four homers. I, I can't <laughs> believe that he hit four homers. Yeah, but, I mean, and, me and, you know, in his debut, you know, like you said, he touched low A. Slash 324, 24, 56. He's going to get a uh, – he stole 22 bases. He's going to get a, a full season assignment this year, and then, you know, we'll see what happens. He's got enough skills that, once again, there's some upside, and the Royal system is so shallow that he's going to potentially get moved up pretty quickly because they got nobody else to replace him. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and, and finishing off the Royals list here, as we spend probably the shortest amount of time we've ever spent on a list for – for appropriate reasons, honestly. Um, Josh Stelma, right-handed pitcher. Um, I'll, I'll walk you through what I initially saw with him when, it, when I was talking to Ralph pre-show about this. So uh, the first thing I saw him, as I mentioned with some of these other guys where I watched video and then I'll jump to the Fangraphs page, I didn't really know too much about Stelma. I heard about him in the past because I knew he threw pretty hard and had a pretty good curveball, but I didn't really dig it enough to have an opinion coming in. So what I did was I actually watched the top velocity, which I obviously watch them a lot. I like those guys a lot and what they do. I watched their breakdown, and that breakdown of him is in slow motion. If you've ever watched any of their stuff. So I watched them on slow motion, and I go, oh, it's pretty clean overall. Like, there really wasn't any point of this delivery where I was like, that's funky or this is weird. He's early mover, pretty good overall. Momentum, lower half, good transition to upper half. This shift of shoulder separation for generating velocity from his torso wasn't fantastic, but it wasn't terrible. It was right in the middle. I was like, this guy's interesting. And then I watched it game speed, and – it almost feels like the, the delivery itself is really, really segmented. Like there's points of it where you can stop it and you almost feel like him himself mentally stops his delivery at points and it makes it almost robotic. And then I looked at his stats and I saw that he had a 15% walk rate at triple uh, at A and I just was so confused. I didn't really know what to do. I was just like, this guy is maintaining like a, a seven walk per nine in triple A, but he's carrying like 12 or 30-ish percent of the guys he faces because of the fastball-curveball combo is so, so good. But, I mean, I, I have to think that the command issues come, or control issues, not even command issues, because he, he I don't think he has, he has no command. He, he really doesn't have any control. He can't have command. He doesn't have control. But I think it comes from how robotic. It's not, it's not like super robotic, but it just felt like there's points of his delivery where they just need to change it fundamentally. And I just... I don't know if I see the command coming for him, and I think that's a concern because it's basically a bullpen arm at that point. Because the fastball and the curveball have gotten fantastic grades, so you really just have to kind of groom him already as a reliever. To me, I don't even think you consider him on the starting pitching side of things. And 
Uh, talk, talk me through your opinion on Stalmont here. I think he hit the nail on the head there, Lance, to be quite honest with you. There's not much more you can say. He's got really good stuff. Uh, there's not any major issues mechanically. As you said, there's a, a little bit of hesitation. Um, and I just don't see him riding the ship in terms of his control and command. This is a guy that ultimately needs to end up in the bullpen, and he's got nasty enough stuff that he might end up being a really funky reliever. I can't imagine Craig Kimbrell being a starter. And I'm not saying this Josh Stalmont is going to be Craig Kimbrell, but he's got a fastball, he's got a breaking ball, the combo is funky, it's nasty, I can't see it sustaining itself for longer than an inning. At times he's going to lose his, his, his uh, any control or command. I can't believe we're even mentioning it in the same sentence. Paragraph of Stalmont. But he'll lose it to the point that, like, you got to pull him immediately, but he's nasty enough that I do think he can be really effective as yeah. a one-inning reliever. And ultimately, I think that's where he ends up. I don't think there's anything else you can add. And I don't want to talk about any more Royals. This is no more. Depressed. We're done. I think that takes us to the end of the show, Ralph. We, we made it. I enjoyed our intro. Our intro was fun because it was not the Royals list. And <laughs> that's why I enjoyed it, honestly. So uh, be, be sure to check out um, all of my work on Razzball. I'll be writing weekly. I think my column's going to be on a Monday schedule this year, so Monday later afternoon for anyone on the East Coast time can see my stuff. Um, I'll be writing. I pretty much have a sandbox, so I, I go through whatever topics I like and I come up with some interesting stuff. Ralph is writing a ton. He is uh, doing a lot of prospect stuff, obviously. He'll be ranking some the rest of his list as we kind of run through the, the back end of our list here. And um, he's also doing the Fantrax baseball show with our buddy Andy Singleton. They've had some awesome guests on that, as we mentioned. The top of the show, Ben Battler was on talking some international prospects. So uh, good content. As always, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Lance Brosdow. And Ralph is at Prospect Rabbi. Uh, no, Prospect Jesus. So <laughs> I'm going to keep bringing that up. But uh, um, Ralph, you got anything to say? Send, send the people off into their weekend here. Thank you for listening as always. Uh, don't forget to give us a nice review, like the podcast, share the podcast, retweet the podcast, put it under your Facebook wall and say, listen to these guys. It's all appreciated. Uh, thanks for another great week. Lance, if you need to edit out any part of this podcast, edit out the Royals part. <laughs> noted, noted. Take care, everybody. Enjoy your weekend. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago, with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read 
read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. 